This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today, all the way from Seattle, she told me she's going to share some of that um, Seattle clouds with me, just so I can feel that that gloom again. But Seattle is beautiful. We love you. I have Dr. Jen O'Ryan, who from Double Talk Consulting is going to tell us about her book, Inclusive AF. I know that sounds like it should be on like Netflix or Hulu or something, huh? Dr. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming on. And we know that inclusive and, you know, diversity is something, you know, every meeting you go to, it seems in Seattle, you hear about it. And that's kind of rare still. You won't get that in Lubbock, Texas, where we've lived before or, or, you know, even Florida. They don't say it as much as um, a place like Seattle. So tell us why this book. And I also want to know, um, could this be like Black AF where you get colorful language in there? <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. So I so I started writing the book about uh, a year and a half ago and I, I played around with the I knew that I wanted to write a book that would be really easy for people to pick up and read. My vision was if somebody's going to a conference in Florida and they're flying from Seattle, they see this in the bookshop at Hudson and they can actually pick it up, read it take steps and and have a game plan by the time they land in Orlando. And so I played around with the the title quite a bit. And finally, I just decided this is my book, my words, and this is what I'm going to call it. And it, it was inclusive AF. It's a field guide for what I call accidental diversity experts. And it came to a point where we've been so polite and so subtle and so nuanced about actually getting inclusion, equity, and diversity in organizations. And I'm like, enough, I'm done being polite. This is not inclusive, please. This is not inclusive if we have time after our next launch. This is inclusive right now, we have to go all in and have very real conversations and real discussions and take real steps so that we have sustainable, inclusive cultures. Can you go deeper even into, you know, the getting fed up because this is something that I, I've spoke about everywhere I go. I spoke about it even in in Seattle to say, it's, is it really that hard to have, you know, a diverse cast of people? Is it really that hard to pay women doing the same job, <laughs> what this man is doing? Is this like really difficult? I mean, it, it's not. So I know I get frustrated. So please go deeper because you might have a little more smooth rhythm this in me I, I just don't it, it frustrates the heavens out of me it is really frustrating and it, it is especially in Seattle because we do have the sense of being very progressive and all along the west coast right we're very progressive and we have all the right marketing campaigns and we have all the right things on websites but the thing is is that it inclusion lives in the experience the day-to-day -day experience of every customer every employee every client and if that team if that manager of that group of humans collected together, if they're not actively inclusive, then it just, it's lip service. And people get really frustrated with lip service because like you said, it's not that hard to do it right. 
So what I find is that a lot of organizations have really good ideas and they just don't know how to execute or they execute and it's really kind of, maybe they stumble a little bit, they don't really stick the landing. Um, and so that's where people like me and, and other of my colleagues will step in and say, look, here's where you are in the industry. Here's, let's be realistic about what your, your team is. Like how big is your company? Are you located all over the country? And, and here's what you can do. Here's what you can do in the next 30 to 45 days, the next six months, the next 18 months, and then here's your three-year vision. Um, and, and it just kind of getting them out of their own way and getting them to actively doing the work. And it is a lot of work and it, that, you know, that pitch isn't something that really gets executives coming in, lining up to, to write checks, but it's, it's real. I mean, we can't just, you know, slap a pride sticker on it and say we're inclusive now, right? It's, we gotta, yes. we gotta do the work. Yeah. And in so many areas have to do the work. Now, is there anything in the book or maybe with uh, your consulting firm that companies can get like a scorecard or a checklist and say, we've done this, this and this? Because what we find is a lot of times they'll, OK, we, we need, you know, they don't say it, but the diversity higher for whichever category. Mm -hmm. But the, even the people they pick for that won't stand up for who they are and they don't feel comfortable who they are when they're the only one in this whole department or company. So is there any scorecard or checklist that you have for them? I, I, that's such a good question because I typically start with what do they, what do they mean when we say inclusion, equity, and diversity, like what does that mean to them? And I start to peel back the layers of when you say you're looking for somebody who's a cultural fit, what does that mean? Right, because cultural mm -hmm. fit oftentimes means somebody who looks, thinks, and acts and talks exactly like me, or even if they don't look like me, they will adapt and start to, you know, act and behave and think as everybody else does in the company. And so, really, it's that you need to you need to take a look at not only who are you hiring, but who your suppliers are, and are you going to the same recruiting company every single time and bringing in the same people every single time and using the same vendors every single time? And it's what I found to be really effective in those conversations is think of it as a disruptive technology, right? Now I'm really going to date myself, but and it's early in the morning to be dating myself, but it's almost like Netflix completely, very nearly ran Hollywood video and Blockbuster out of business. These two giants, right? And that's who these companies want to be. They want to be the disruptors. They want to be setting the industry standards. And part of that means taking a real look at the culture and the day-to-day -day interactions and what they value. And that usually says, oh, okay, we actually do need to um, focus on this area and this area and this area. Going back to the the checklist of things that they should be looking at. And, and it's, 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 it is a checklist in, in, in the sense of areas, but then they really need to kind of peel back and, and take the action. Well, what would you say to those entrepreneurs? And I don't want it to just, you know, people to picture, oh, you're talking about white males. No, because I'm gonna flip it for you guys. There is a black business group in Seattle, Washington that, do the same thing that what typically old white male companies do where they have the same leadership for, you know, almost a decade. You don't flip the leadership. Mm -hmm. Most of the, the organization is 65 and up and 
the government is half of the meeting every Saturday. Now, if you guys are from Seattle, you know who I'm talking about and that nothing changes because we put the same people or we now will put government officials for on our board and they have this thinking that we're talking about needs to change. And so for the entrepreneurs who say, well, I'm hiring who works best. And if I get a whole bunch of people who think different than me, I may have chaos in my building or my organization. So what can organizations that even if they're black, Hispanic, they can be, you know, LGBT, whatever. And they keep getting the same. I call them soft people because Mm -hmm. they're very, you know, they have no radical in them for real change. What do you say to those people to say we hire who we like and and that's what works for us? Yeah. Yeah. And welcome to the messiness of being human. Right. Because that's what we do. (laughs) We I mean, we talk about unconscious bias all the time, but there are so many other bias that that influence our decision making. Right. And so, yeah, that's and you've hit on a couple of different things. That question that that are sparking for me is we are especially because of the pandemic and the economic shift, right? We're going to have so many more entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and micro businesses coming out of this, out of necessity. And so, yeah, if, if you're a solopreneur, you need to be thinking about inclusion and diversity, not just for your, your staff that you will have eventually one day, but also if you want to get funding, right? So you go, you go to a pitch meeting and that question is going to be, what's your strategy around inclusion and diversity? And you can't just fall blank. Um, and so it really does come down to, and to be honest, my all-time favorite is working with startups. They're just the small, they're, they want to do everything the right thing. It's all, it's a, it's a blank slate and you can kind of set that vision going, but it really is um, thinking about all aspects of inclusion and all aspects of diversity, because we've got invisible diversity. We have people who learn differently, people who have might have um, anxiety, PTSD, mobility issues, neurological differences, uh, neurodiversity, and really taking a step back and saying, okay, we need this chaos and we need this differences because that's where, that's where we get the innovation, right? There's so many studies were coming out a couple of years ago from MIT and Harvard Business Review around, um, Diverse teams have better outcomes, but it's because of that chaos that you mentioned. It's because not everybody is kind of nodding their heads in the meeting and walking out with the same ideas and understanding. In that chaos, in that healthy friction and and conflict, that's where the ideas come. And that's what I, I'm glad you tapped on that. That's where I wanted to go. Um, You think about all the tech technology that's been building you think about you know steve jobs and bill gates and you hear now all the (laughs) the chaos and you know Mm -hmm. fights that were going on and and i even pull that into to marriage um you know how i'll say men try to say all right i'm gonna pick someone a woman who's passive and submissive but your best bet is to pick somebody who may kick you in the butt and say, actually, you're not the smartest in the room. This could be 10 times better if you do this. And I know for me, my wife has helped me and still helps me to this day. Cause oh, this is a great idea till she peels the layers back and she really, it kicks and it hurts and not just my pride, but it's physical hurt. So I love that you, you put that in there. Who is this book for? Because someone may say, I'm not an entrepreneur. I work my nine to five and I'm, I'm done. And, you know, there's no impact for me. I, I, I can't make a change. But I, I disagree with that. So who is this book for? 
So this book is for everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody who has that little spark, that little, that little sense of things could be better. Like if it's a, if it's a, a toxic work environment or an exclusionary work environment, or there's some dynamic and it's not necessarily just for work, right? The beauty of this is that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And so it's like a Trojan horse. So it's designed for the, the workplace, but it also takes it out into the community, into volunteerism, into the standing in line at the grocery store, right? Because you have all these different ways of um, viewing interactions. And so the book is for people who want to make a change, whether they have a team of people on a budget, or if it's just one person who wants to make their, their corner of the world just a little bit better for everybody else. And it walks through um, a lot of the, the humanism that kind of is a barrier to change and kind of how do you navigate people and bring them along the journey. But it also has practical steps for what people can do right now to start making a change. And making it's a change is definitely something that you've put a life's work. I mean, this is not sure your first thing. It may be your first book. And I've heard in other interviews, you know, it, if you knew it was going to be this difficult and you really thought about it, maybe you would not have done it. But what is like a community give back, maybe outside of diversity or, or something you haven't shared that you are doing or that you want to do? Because your whole life is like a community give back. So it's hard to ask that signature question to someone like yourself. Uh, my soft spot is always going to be uh, parents and educators. Uh, when I first started doing this work, uh, I finished my my dissertation and I, I studied the um, the lived experience of growing up as uh, uh, LGBTQ, and I learned the importance of uh, having a support network, at least one supportive person in a child's life, and that will change their entire trajectory. And so my soft spot is always going to be meeting with parents who have questions about how do you talk to your kid about gender identity or orientation or attraction and helping them navigate their kids coming out process. And that's actually where I started is, is working with parents. And then I realized, well, if I work with teachers and healthcare providers and counselors, they will impact so many more kids over the course of their career than I will. And so I started giving the guidance and, and message and information to them. And so, yeah, that's always gonna be, in fact, that's where the double tall, that's where the double tall name came from is uh, I start, I would meet with parents and, and they're like, well, you know what, buy me a coffee and we'll sit down and, and we'll talk about your, your niece or your nephew or your, your kids. And that's, that was the double tall Americano. That was my, that was my original fee. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Are things getting better um, for, I mean, I think about, you know, folks, sexual preference and I, in my mind, when I'm at work or I'm doing business, I don't care what this person does in their own bedroom. Are things getting better? You know, we know there's more. You can be open, allegedly, in the military um, more and more. But with the Me Too movement and hearing how, you know, just the slightest thing can offend someone. So I'm a comedian sometimes. Right. So I can be offensive to whoever it doesn't matter but i just think are things getting better for folks being able to be who they are because whoever you are it might not affect me outside of us doing business and <laughs> and i'm just saying like you know are, are is it a things progressing or is it even getting worse where folks are like you know what i feel 
even lonelier because I said who I am, where back in the day, I would have just shut my mouth and everything would have been fine and people would have thought it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, I, I think this is following the same line as a lot of other social movements. Uh, because this is this is absolutely, in fact, I was asked that question the other day around, you know, is this a political discussion? It's really not a political discussion. It's a human rights issue. Um, and it follows that same line. So if you go back to um, marriage equality, when uh, California and some of the other states introduced marriage equality before the SCOTUS uh, decision, uh, the Supreme Court of the United States decision, it's um, every time we get progression in the marriage equality, there would be a backlash against another segment of the population. So we saw a lot of um, anti-women legislation being introduced. We saw a lot of legislation um, that was anti-trans or another segment of the population. Um, because then we get into the whole intersectionality of identities. And so as we got more equality um, on one front, other segments of the population were seeing the backlash. And it's kind of that divide and conquer. It's, it's very much how marginalized populations are kept in the margins uh, because they're, they're segmented and targeted very differently. So um, I do think it's getting better, but I do think we're also losing ground. Uh, GLAD is an organization um, that is very supportive of the LGBTQ community. And they do a study every two years to get a sense of what is the, the social tolerance and, and what is the general vibe, if you will, of, of LGBTQ in, in, in the States. And this last year, 2019, so earlier results, was the first time that they actually saw a decrease in tolerance. And that was primarily in the younger generation. So at that time, 18 to 34 year olds. And it was even more specifically around um, male, 18 to 34 year olds, male identified. And it, it really goes to show how much of what's going on in our culture and society and the messages that people get about what it means to be a certain identity um, can be very different and it has a lasting impact on that generation. And so all the, all the years prior, they had seen increasing acceptance and tolerance. And this was the first year that they saw in this segment a decrease. You can definitely justify, you know, fighting for your rights, having equal rights just for being you. But I think the politicians take it even you know too fur- further and when they'll say we're going to sanction a, co- a country because of how they feel and what their lo- laws are uh, biden um, has threatened to do that against nigeria recently and give me your take because my my take is if a country doesn't want whomever there are certain countries in the middle east i may not go to with my wife just because i don't like how they treat africans and i don't like how they treat women and so i'm just not gonna go there at least with her so if i'm not paid to go i'm not gonna go and it's not like you know majority of americans are running to nigeria but then to say something and say hey we're gonna put sanctions on these people if they don't do this, it makes a whole country and those who from there are fans of there now say that like they get a hatred for the LGBT because they feel like it's them pushing it. And I, I don't just I don't know a lot of people when I write my investment in Africa courses that are running to Nigeria that are in the LGBT Um, Because there are LGBT already in Nigeria Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're doing what they need to do. But what's your take? Because you can play both sides to say, hey, America wants to be on the right side of history. But I don't know if I'm just that, you know, 
I, I don't know if I believe it. I think it's always something else where America might want some more resources and to start a war with a, co- a country rather than do they really care what the LGBT in Nigeria <laughs> is going down. So what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, so that's actually such a really good point because it's so complicated, right? And and I don't know, I don't want to say it's a states thing, but it does. Have, we we like really easy answers, and mm-hmm. we like very black and white and absolutes. Um, and the thing is, it's so complicated. Like I don't even think I would be able to speak intelligently on that particular situation or the other situation in Yemen. But it's I feel like we need to have way more insight into what what is it we're trying to solve with sanctions. What is the splash and ripple effect? Because typically it does tend to, you know, have a disparate impact on, you know, the poor and the disenfranchised and individuals in the country. So I would really want to do more research into what do we think is going to be solved by these sanctions? Um, in some countries, it just it seems like it's a very clear cut. Yes, we, we need to distance ourselves and have sanctions against countries who are, you know, actively attacking us or having horrific things going on in their country. Um, but I think far too often, it's just kind of a decision that's made for less than well thought out intentions, or it's a decision that's made and never reevaluated, right? Like um, Cuba is a perfect example, in my opinion, is, you know, I was able to visit there a couple of years ago on a people to people visa. And it just opened my eyes to like, why are we, why are we still limiting travel to Cuba? Uh, again, I'm not a geopolitical expert. This I try to stay in my lane, but from a human perspective, it's like this makes zero sense, and it feels like it's a hangover from something that you know, a decision that was made in the '90s based on where we were in the '90s, and maybe it's time that we evolve in that in that sense as well. Wow, and some evolving we have to do, uh, and we see you know the the craziness in the the political system uh, right now, and where we go, who knows? I I thank you for this game because I hope that you know around the world um, people say, yeah, yeah, that that's true. Um, everything she said is true, and that human perspective. I mean, we're we're human. This is a person. Um, why do I dislike a person that I don't even know based on, you know, what they like? Hey, they like apples. So I'm mad at them um, because they like apples. It just uh, it's it's that's their thing. I'm not eating their apple. So I appreciate that. What would you like to leave the people with? I want them to make sure they go on Amazon and check out your book and check out your website. Links will be in the description. But what would you like to leave the people with? I, first, I love how you just summarized that because it is the humaning. It is absolutely the humaning. It, it's I, I've had the opportunity to sit down in coffee shops and spark up a conversation with people over a shared interest in coffee, only to find out that they are on completely the other end of the ideological spectrum as I am. And so all of a sudden, you know, you have these two people that never would have talked to each other bonding over coffee. Um, it, it is all about changing the world one conversation at a time. And, and one pronoun at a time. And you're not going to win everybody. You're not going to convince everybody. So there's a spectrum of people who are totally on board on this side and, and, and the other end of the spectrum, people that will just never get through for whatever reason. Um, and in the sweet spot are these people who maybe have never had to think about what it's like to walk through the world differently with a different identity. And those are the ones that you want to tap your energy into. Those are the ones that you want to have the conversations and and find common ground and, and humanize the issue. 
you guys have been blessed by the game. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.